Welcome to the Options Save Lives weekly live stream, where we spend an hour each week exploring life-improving topics through a lens of alcohol recovery and the Sinclair Method. Every week, we take on a new question, topic, or common challenge to empower people to either build a better relationship with alcohol or to eliminate it completely. Episodes are filmed live on Twitch at twitch.tv slash c3foundation, and the audience is encouraged to ask questions and engage with the host and guests. The Option Save Lives weekly stream is hosted by Executive Director Jenny Williamson and is produced by the C3 Foundation with the support of R Street Institute and other generous sponsors. For more information about the C3 Foundation or the Sinclair Method, visit our website at c3foundation.org. Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to the Option Save Lives weekly live stream. As always, I'm Jenny Williamson, Executive Director at the C3 Foundation and your host for the next hour. How is everybody today? We are broadcasting live from the C3 Foundation office here in Fort Myers, Florida. Love to hear where you guys are watching from out there in the audience. Uh, welcome if you're a first timer to the stream. Just don't be shy. Say hello in the chat area. Uh, we have a wonderful set of regulars in our audience, and um, we're glad you're here today. So this week, we are going to talk about medication adherence, otherwise known as compliance, with Samara Abanez, one of our TSM coaches. So one of my favorite words is the word serendipity. And that's pretty much what the topic, or to, ugh, apparently I still need more coffee. This, like, I feel like we need to create a coffee emoji because this is becoming a theme. Um, so anyway, uh, today's topic was really serendipitous in how it came across. Every week, we encourage the audience to let us know what you want to hear most about. So on the planning side of things, when I'm booking a guest... I usually ask if there's a specific topic that they're really enthusiastic about. And guests can either propose their own topic or they can take one from our list that we haven't covered yet. Well, a couple days before I confirmed Samara as one of our guests, someone filled out that form and suggested compliance as a topic. Even wow. though Samara had no idea we had just received that topic suggestion, she proposed why I am compliant and will remain compliant in the future. So oh it didn't God. take much to decide on today's topic. So as you have questions, if you have comments, go ahead, put those in the chat box. We really want to keep things interactive. We love that. We, Samara, we've got people out there from uh, Canada, from the UK. So we've got a great international audience out there. We've, we've got a first timer out there, Capricorn, welcome. And, um, and Kayhorn just offered me some, uh, some digital coffee there. So uh, I appreciate that. Well, before we jump fully in, let me go ahead and properly introduce our guest today. 
Samara Abanez is a nutritional therapist certified by AADP who takes a holistic, evidence-based approach to recovery. After battling alcohol addiction and substance abuse disorder for over 20 years, she has found complete and total freedom from addiction, having successfully reverted her brain neurochemistry back to the pre-addicted state through the medically proven Sinclair method. Samara's story has recently caught national attention. She will be featured in the new book coming out this year, Living Abundantly, by James Malinchek, known for his role on ABC's hit show, Secret Millionaire, and the author of 25 books to date. Samara is a certified TSM coach with the C3 Foundation and is currently joining the Alcohol Freedom Program brought to you by Thrive as a TSM coach there as well. Samara lives in Central Florida and practices a wellness and recovery-oriented lifestyle. After being a caretaker for her two grandparents with Alzheimer's for the last several years, she now enjoys spending time with her two dogs, three dogs and two rescue cats out in the sun as much as possible. So go ahead and say hello, Samara. Hi guys. Absolutely. I love the sun. I'm always in the sun. <laughs> well, that is going to lead perfectly into today's icebreaker. What is your favorite thing about living here in Florida? Oh my gosh. I've been actually thinking about this a lot because we had like a really cold winter this year. You experienced it. And we in call January that a normal winter. <laughs> there was like a couple 30, 30 degree days in there. And I was like, what is going on? But anyways, it's beautiful right now. And this is my favorite thing about living in Florida is that we get to enjoy these winter months and just bat I like I literally am basking in the sun like daily right now because it's just so gorgeous. But in, in August, it's a little bit of a different story. <laughs> I stay inside in August. <laughs> yeah. Anyone anyone with any sense and the ability to do so stays inside in August in Florida. I mean, one of my favorite things about Florida is the wildlife. Um yeah, before for those of you who obviously couldn't hear our conversation uh, beforehand, but, uh, you know, I had a red-shouldered hawk in my backyard yesterday. Uh, I have a nest of bald eagles that lives less than five miles from my house. And so oh. I get to see bald eagles just randomly soaring through the air, wow. which um, in Florida, it, that's still a little bit odd because everything's so flat. So you think of eagles more as yeah. you know in mountains and and different areas like that so um so it's it's pretty interesting but even even the little lizards that run around like I can't imagine walking down a sidewalk without seeing something scurrying into the grass from one side to the next yep yep Ooh, our Manitoba uh audience member still has seven feet of snow Ooh, so you want to come down to florida <laughs> come, so, come for a visit yeah we we should probably stop rubbing it in yeah. <laughs> we got it good Sorry. <laughs> so before we dive fully in um why don't we go ahead samara take a moment and for anyone who doesn't know what medication adherence or compliance means. Go ahead yeah. and define that for our audience. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, compliance. And I don't really love that word compliance. So a lot of times I try to say to myself, I say, um, I'm honoring the program. I'm honoring the method that I became free from alcohol with. I'm, I'm, uh, staying true to the method. So those are kind of other replacement words that I like to use. Um, and it's just about, that's exactly what it's about. It's about honoring the method, you know, Dr. Sinclair, you know, he, he did all of the work, the clinical trials and the, the lab trials, and he did the work for us, for us to know that this science is real and it works. So now, you know, it's my job to, to honor that method so that I stay in this place of freedom that I'm in from alcohol. Well, it's pretty cool. Imagine that somebody has no idea what the Sinclair method is and they oh, say, okay. what is, what is medication adherence? What is compliance? Okay. 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 Got it. Sorry. Um, so compliance is taking the medication. Typically it's naltrexone and typically it's 50 milligrams. Sometimes it's more depending on what your doctor prescribes you. And you take 50 milligrams an hour to an hour and a half to now even two hours before your first drink of the night or of the day or, you know, whenever. And, um, that's adherence. That is compliance. That is, um, honoring the method. And if do when doing that, that brings freedom from alcohol for most people. So, yeah. And it's funny because it really is a simple thing. Um, the, and I usually use the word medical medication adherence because I spend a lot of time speaking to doctors. And also, like you, I really don't like the word compliance. I feel like it, but everybody uses it. So I feel like I have to keep it in my general lexicon because people under, they have in their brain what that means. And if that's what's going to get the message through to them, then... Right. I want to honor where they're at, even though I personally don't care for the word. I feel like it's um, it's a very sterile word. It's a controlling word. I feel like it's yeah. opposite of the empowerment that TSM gives a person. Right. And when I, and it also brings to mind when I was I was I, I was think I was probably a teenager when the film came out. There was an old Disney movie called Flight of the Navigator. And there was a spaceship that was piloted. It was voiced by um, Pee Wee Herman, of all people. Oh my and whenever the kid that it picked up uh, would give a command, he would say, Compliance. <laughs> and so oh, I think weird. of that every single time I hear That's the word so compliance is I, I've got that little Pee Wee Herman voice in the back of my head. And it's like it just doesn't mesh very well um, with what the spirit of medication adherence is, um, in, in my opinion. Um, oh, and good. I'm not the only person who's seen that. Somebody in the audience has also seen that film. It's it's old. It's obscure. But um, but yeah, <laughs> very random. But yeah, that's so funny that you would have that coming back in your head every time you hear the word compliance <laughs> every time. So but a lot of people get very confused over it. And 
the medication adherence or compliance portion of the Sinclair method is that simple. Take the medication. Uh, you mentioned the naltrexone over in Europe, UK. Okay. Very select places they have nalmaphene, and that's where the one to two hours came from because that's the prescribing guideline for Selincro so, so is great because it, even though it doesn't say the Sinclair method, it actually is labeled under Sinclair method protocols, take one to two hours prior to the first drink of the day. But mm. being a different medication, it's a different dosage. It's like 18.2 milligrams and you pretty much don't redose on Selincro ever. Uh, so those of you who are watching, if you're, you know, just understand that the the bulk of what we're talking about applies to naltrexone because the bulk of people using the Sinclair method, that's the only thing that's even available. available. And mm -hmm. those of you who are able to get the Selincro or Nalmaphene outside of North America, it's a select group. And we do have some resources for you, but um, we, we actually tend to send you guys off to a different resource center for a lot of the nuanced education on that because it is so localized. Okay. So um, in addition to taking that medication one to two hours prior to the first drink of the day, there is another piece to medication adherence. And that is that with the Sinclair method, you don't take it on days when you're not drinking. So it's not every day. Um, mm -hmm. and, and this is something that can confuse people. So it is worth mentioning. So now that we have a working definition of medication adherence, why don't you tell us a bit about what, what was your life like before you found out about the Sinclair method and how did that shape your personal approach to medication adherence? I love the question. What was my life like before I found TSM? Hmm. Um, addict, <laughs> 30, 30 more pounds of weight on me, by the way, I've lost almost 30 pounds, about 29 pounds since Congrats. I, thank you. Thanks. And I, I'm like chalking it up to alcohol, like the, the way that alcohol affected my body personally, it was, uh, it destroyed my, my metabolism. So my metabolism was just so slow all the time. Now I can just be kind of more normal, but that's another topic. Um, yeah, I was, I wasn't living my best life. I wasn't living up to what, you know, all my dreams and goals that I had, you know, I wasn't, I was, I was holding myself back and I was completely, I, that's, that's what I would say. I was just really holding myself back. And I didn't even realize how much I was holding myself back until I discovered the Sinclair method. And actually my mom, my mom was like surfing the internet and she found the Ted talk by Claudia Christian. And she sent it to me as a link. And she's like, have you seen this? Have you heard of this method? Have you anything? And I was like completely floored. I watched it like three times in a row. 
And that was it. I was off to the races. I was like looking for a doctor to find the medication as soon as I could. I ordered the book and then I started doing the method really sloppy because I had no idea what I was doing. And this was back in 2019. Yeah. Yes. 2019. And I just made every mistake in the book. I mean, everything you can think of, I've done. I've done it. Like I stopped I actually had a failed attempt at TSM in 2019 because I started seeing some progress and I was like, oh, this is, this is changing some things. You know, I'm, I'm seeing a reduction in my drinking. I'm seeing a reduction in my cravings and triggers. And that was a big thing for me was cravings. I knew I, I craved alcohol. I could tell, like I, I figured that out that I was craving it. And that was what was causing me to drink after time and time again, I would tell myself, I'm not drinking anymore, <laughs> you know? And then a craving would start happening in me and it would fester for, or, or it would build, it would build from weeks to months. And finally I would just, I would just drink because I couldn't take it anymore. So this, this method really cured that in me. It cured that, that craving and the triggers. So, um, so where was I? I kind of went off track a little bit, but I... You were talking about making mistakes and make, making every mistake in the book. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So in 2019, I basically had a failed attempt because what I did, and this goes back to compliance, what I ended up doing was I said in my mind, I don't... Uh, why do I need to do that? Like, why do I need to take the medic medication before I drink? Why don't I just try it a couple times without taking the medication, drinking without taking the medication? And it was literally like three or four session drinking sessions without the medication that took me right back to literally, I mean, it happens so fast. I can't, I can't like, put an exclamation on this more like it happens so fast and and so compliance now to me means i had to do i had to do this all over again in 2021 in january of 2021 i started tsm all over again but i did it and i hit extinction and it can be done and then now i really understand the nature of what it means to be a hundred percent compliant. You know what I mean? Like, well, I don't want to go back to that. I don't want to be that person again. And so. we've, we've seen just over the years, it's hard to believe Claudia and I have been doing this together at C3 for almost nine years. And we've seen where the period of time when someone says, well, maybe I'll try just drinking without the medication could be anywhere from immediate to about six months to return to that pre-TSM uh, pre state. And mm -hmm. the problem is, until unless you do it, you don't know if is it going to be immediate or is it going to take you a while. And I feel like when someone has that immediate response like you did, like Claudia has talked about having in the past, yeah, it's a, it's a larger more dramatic wake-up call than huh. someone who, yeah. after, you know, a month and a half in was like, well, you know, I'm able to do this. I'm able to do this. And right. they stop realizing that they're escalating 
until it's too late because it's more of that slow boil instead of the quick explosion of return. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. And also the the first thing I know, I'm one thing that I have going for me, I think um, is self-awareness. I really study myself. I study my reactions. I study what my feelings in my body. And I noticed that time in 2019 that my cravings were the first thing that came back, like instantly, like I started craving alcohol again. And I was like, wow, this is really interesting. I've only drank three or four times without the medicine. And I'm already thinking it's starting. I'm thinking about alcohol again. It's in my brain. It's taking over. It's taking space in my head, you know, taking up space. And um, yeah, so it was was a very, I guess I was supposed to go through that, you know? Well, I have a I have a comment in in the chat here that says that your story is what is being observed in a loved one. And it's so hard to watch from the sidelines. So what was it that brought you back to committing to compliance? What what was your internal process that brought you from going back to the full scale cravings? Because you mentioned that that was in. 2019 and you came back um, recommitted in 2021. So there's a span of time there. So what happened in that span of time that finally moved you back to fully committing to the Sinclair method? Such a great question. And by the way, to the listener, uh, I just got chills with hearing about your situation because it just hit so close to home. I mean, 2020 COVID year, I was drinking uncontrollably again after I, I had had so much success on the Sinclair method. And I, I had seen a light at the end of the tunnel for what my life and my future could actually be. And then I went straight back to complete uncontrollable drinking. So I was a binge drinker. So it wasn't like daily, but um, when I drank, I drank. And sometimes I couldn't control it. And I would drink to the the point of just blackout and then complete hangover for the next two to three days. Like I, I couldn't get myself back up and running after those kinds of drinking spells. And um, so, yeah, it was just completely destroying my life. You know, I can't, I can't do any, accomplish any goals and dreams for my life if I'm living that kind of that kind of cycle. Um, so what I did was I actually did, I really looked inside and I, and I figured out what was I, why, why did I go back to alcohol? So I, I answered a couple questions for myself. So I actually started doing a lot of inner healing work. And this is really interesting because I was, I had gotten fired from my job in COVID COVID year. And so I was, um, not, I didn't have my financial resources weren't there, so I couldn't go get therapy. So I was literally doing this work on myself. I just started journaling. I started journaling. I started asking myself questions. Why did I go back? I figured out that why I went back was because I wasn't fully healed from past traumas and all kinds of stuff that had happened in my life. And so I returned because I wanted to escape my life. 
I literally would figure I, I, I found out that I wanted to numb myself again. So I wasn't done numbing myself from life. And this was my chosen, uh, substance that I used to numb myself. So once I figured that out, it was a huge light bulb moment. And I was like, okay, well, now that I have this awareness, I can work on this stuff. So I just even, and this is crazy because I was drinking this year, 2020, I was drinking, but I started doing this inner healing work too. And I, I, I worked on myself and I, I, I started doing some forgiveness work where I was forgiving people in my past. I was forgiving myself. I had to forgive myself for all, all of this mess that I put myself in. I started, I had to forgive my father for a lot of stuff that he caused in my life. There was a lot of abuse. I grew up in a domestic violent household. So I had to start dealing with past childhood trauma. And so I, you know, the best I could, I read some books and I journaled and I answered questions with myself and I kind of like figured this stuff out. And so once 20, uh, 2021 came around and I did started TSM again, I, I had a, a big um, amount of healing that I had gone through. And I think that was like the catalyst to having lasting change and to now being the kind of person that wants to be compliant instead of wanting to escape, so. And you had mentioned that initially it was your mom that had put the TED talk in front of you. Um, during that time, what what kind of support and feedback and or maybe resistance or, or whatever was coming from external sources while you were in that period of getting ready to come back to TSM? Like you, before I started TSM again? Yes. Oh, um, I mean, I, so my mom was on board from the beginning, but she did see me go back during 2020 and, and revert back to my past ways with drinking. So yeah, she was really frustrated and disappointed and she didn't know what I was doing. And, you know, I had to convince her as well that I was going to try TSM again. And she was reluctant. I mean, like any family member would be, she was so reluctant. She's like, you think it's going to work? Like, you know, and for someone who's not an addict and she's never, she doesn't drink or anything. She doesn't even drink anything. Like <laughs> she doesn't drink. Um, she doesn't understand the addicted brain, but she's been very, very open and supportive and I'm very lucky to have that, um, that she's been willing to listen and try to understand what I've been going through. So, um, yeah, I mean, she was reluctant when I started again, but I'm a very determined person. And when I say I'm going to do something like, like, I'm like, I'm going to like go at it. So whether she liked it or not, I drank with, with the, doing the program this time around, you know, I had to, I had to set a, set aside a period of time where I was going to do extinction sessions and she knew I was doing extinction sessions. She didn't know if it was going to work, you know? And was that because of the fact that you became non-compliant the first time? Because it seems like if she put the TEDx talk in front of you that she was believing it was going to work at first. 
Um, That's exactly why. It's exactly why, because I lost her trust because I went right back to my old lifestyle that whole year and she saw me go downhill. And so, yeah, I mean, it's hard for family members. It's hard because you don't know if it's going to work again when they try it again. But there was like a little voice in my head at the, at the end of uh, 2020 that was telling me to try TSM again. It was like a little voice pushing me. It was like, you got to try this again. You got to do this again. You saw progress the first time you can do this again and you can hit extinction. Like it was like a little confident voice. So I just went with it. I, I decided to do it. And thinking of contrasting the first attempt and the second attempt, uh, do you think it was some, something um, the, in the difference of your personal readiness or was there some complacency after you started the first time that wasn't there the second? Um, I, what, what do you think made the difference between those two times? Yeah, I totally believe with all my heart that it was that that inner healing work that I did that that made the difference. Like I became like a different person on the inside, the kind of person that doesn't want to escape their life. I had to become that person in order to get my real healing from the Sinclair method. That's really it's so yeah. interesting because it, with people, it really does go both ways. Some people find that they're not able to do that healing until after uh, some time on the Sinclair method. And I love that you are the opposite of that, where you needed to do some healing first in order to be able to commit to it. And I think that speaks volumes about the individualized nature of not only addiction, but also how we have to approach treatment in general because it, they're connected and it's not always the straight line with a single direction. And yeah. so it's so important to be keyed into the individual and what their unique situation is. 100%. I I agree. When, after seeing my my case. And then now as a coach, and I'm seeing, you know, a lot of other uh, situations, I 100% agree with you. It's so individualized and meeting people where they're at and then working through it, like working through it. What are the roadblocks? Yeah. Absolutely. So why don't you talk a little bit about some of the misconceptions you've seen when it comes to TSM and medication adherence, like when you're, when you're talking with people and coaching. Yeah, for sure. So I'm seeing a lot of this now. Um, I'm 95% compliant. <laughs> I'm 99% compliant. What's 99% compliant to you? What, what does that mean to you? And then I, I ask questions and I find out that, you know, it's, it's they're they're taking risks with compliance and you know a doctor once said that 95% compliance is not gonna is not gonna work like TSM is not gonna work at all so you know we have to 
come into this conversation and really understand what compliance. Oh, you just froze. You froze for oh. a moment. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Okay. My internet. Okay. Can you see me? Oh. I can. Oh, I can see you. Yes. All right. Let me just put this on. So hopefully this doesn't happen again. Okay. Okay. So what I was saying was, um, that's where we get, get back to the conversation of honoring the method and, and compliance and full compliance, you know, being that type of person that's not going to mess around with not taking the medication sometimes, because ultimately you have other goals for your life and going, reverting back to addiction and alcohol is not one of them, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Usually when push comes to shove and people get stressed, the most ingrained habit or response is the one that will win. And mm -hmm. unfortunately for a lot of people, the whole reason they are using the Sinclair method to begin with is because reaching for alcohol is that most ingrained uh, situation there. And one of the things that I heard recently, and I've just adopted it, uh, you know, you know the saying, practice makes perfect. Well, with TSM, practice doesn't necessarily make perfect, but practice makes permanent. Yes. That's so good. You got to you got to put that down in one of your quotes, Jenny. Well, it That's didn't come. I didn't make it up. I heard it. So oh, I don't okay. know who to attribute it to. I was like, that is like, I want to use that. Yeah. Practice makes permanent. That That is like the story of my life. I now my life now I um oh man I had something I wanted to say it was something about that but now I, I just lost my train of thought so go ahead <laughs> so let's talk about medication adherence and the need for the minimum hour talk about that the importance of that how how often do you hear people say things like well yeah, I took my medication and well, you know, I waited about 45 minutes. Yeah. I've okay. So everything we talk about here, I've been, I've done it. I've been there. I've done it. Literally. I've tried, like I said, I've done every mistake. I waited 15 minutes before I wait in 2019. I was doing this kind of stuff. I waited 45 minutes before, you know, um, and the best results, and it's been proven through science, is, is that we have to do the full hour to even two hours now. And I noticed that when I wait the an hour and a half, actually, is the best for me personally. And I think everybody kind of absorbs, you know better than me, Jenny, but everybody kind of absorbs the medication a little bit differently, faster, slower, I don't know. Um, for me, an hour and a half is like the sweet spot. Like, I just have the best results when I wait that long. What was your drink of choice? Um, I loved beer and wine. And then I loved uh, margaritas and vodka tonic, like vodka tonic. Okay. That's it. That's basically it. <laughs> I And I have no science behind this. Totally anecdotal. But it seems that um, from what I tend to hear, of those who say the the 90 minutes is the sweet spot, mostly women, 
hmm. mostly wine. And I, I don't yeah. know if that's just a coincidental thing. I don't know if there's just, if, if it just happens to be that maybe women are, are experimenting more with trying to find the sweet spot and that's what they've found. But yeah. I feel like that, um, that 90 minutes, a lot of women in particular tend to say that that's their personal sweet spot. Wow. And I and don't then- know why. There's no science behind it. Um, that I know of, but it just seems to be a recurring theme. Wow. And then wine was my, my number one. Wine was my number one. Yeah. So interesting. So let's talk about a somewhat controversial thing. Some people consider redosing part of medication adherence and some don't. So Let's hear your thoughts on the topic of redosing and medication adherence. You mean uh, redosing that during that particular session, right? Right. If somebody is uh, is drinking for, say, doing an all day drinking. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I okay. So I only did that one time. So because for me the medication works so well that I I rarely was drinking for like eight, 10 hours at a time. Like once, once I, when I was doing extinction sessions, it pretty much would lose interest after a few hours and I wouldn't continue to drink. But I did do it one time when it was like a, a boat party out in Fort Lauderdale. <laughs> and so I did redose that time and it, and it worked. It, it, it really helped. And I, I think I redosed after six hours. It was, um, so I don't have too much uh, experience with redosing, but, and I know some people need to do that a lot. So for me, I just, me personally, I did it once and it worked. It worked. Like I, I felt the results of the medication on my, on my cravings and stuff like that, you know? Yeah. And that, that's what we're, we're hearing in the comments too. Um, someone says, I'm struggling to figure out why redosing would be controversial when people are drinking all day. Uh, when I was doing this near the beginning, I had some all day sessions and I could feel when the medication wasn't working, which was fixed Mm. by redosing. Um, I don't think redosing itself is what's controversial. Um, it's that again, it is so highly individualized that even doctors don't agree on when that time period should be. Uh, We've had people say four hours, six, eight, 10, 12, and never. And I don't know why they're all even number hours, Uh, but that's just how it ended up uh, being. But um, if somebody is redosing, I think that um, where where there seems to be a little give and take where people get a little... um, Not sure exactly what the right word I'm searching for here is, but some people can get a little prickly. (laughs) Um, Prickly. When redosing, one of the things that we've always said is if your doctor has said that you should redose at whatever the interval is that you have worked out with your doctor, treat it the same way you would treat that first pill of the day. Take it 
wait an hour before you have another drink. Now, there are a lot of reasons behind this. One, you're you're committing to taking another hour off of drinking, so that's going to reduce the drinking that follows that second dose. Two, it reinforces the habit of you took a pill, you wait an hour, period. Just don't mess with that habit. Make that the most ingrained habit you can have um, because that will, again, reinforce your medication adherence and compliance. Um, But third, if you have overdrank and drank through your first pill and you're taking the second one, you need to let your body catch up so that that pill can actually settle in and become effective and so that's a ends up being a great time to do things to also minimize your health and hangover risks hydrate maybe drink some electrolytes eat some food so that you're not continuing your drinking session on an empty stomach and so when it comes to redosing Some people just say, oh, well, I just want to take it. I just want to take it because having the pill, whatever else I do, is better than not having it. But talk about how that, how practicing the same standards of medication adherence can then boost the effect of making sure that second dose is doing what it's supposed to. Yeah. I mean, it's exactly what you said. It's, it's adhering to the protocol, even if you've been drinking, if you've, you've had a day of drinking and then you take that time, that one hour time to get some water and food in you, and then you're going to make your life so much better for the next couple of days by redosing and doing it the right way with the, the whole hour, you know, because I bet you anything it's, you know, it's going to make a huge difference in your drinking after that hour as opposed to if you didn't redose. So let's talk a little bit about medication adherence in the scope of the difference between putting in effort on TSM and white knuckling, because some people can't figure out if they should white knuckle their way through cravings or just take their pill and have an extinction session. So talk about that a little bit. That is such an amazing topic. I'm so glad you brought this up, Jenny. Um, this has been something on my mind too, because it, it, it we, we carry this guilt with us and I find it more and more that, and I was doing the same thing. I was feeling guilty for having extinction sessions. And then when I figured out that this is my, this is good medicine, extinction sessions, met, uh, now, well, the medication plus drinking is good medicine for my brain. It's going to change my brain. It's going to completely revert my brain back to the pre-addicted state. So once I got that in my head and I realized that, then I became proud, even though family members weren't necessarily understanding, I became proud of my extinction sessions and I I looked forward to them because I knew that it was good medicine. This was going to heal me the more extinction sessions I had, right? So I kind of 
did a switch and I stopped feeling guilty and shame and I let go. I let go of that stuff. And I kind of just did a, a mental switch. And then I started doing a focused, um, a focused version of TSM. This was the second time around in 2021 where I was just, I put everything else in my life on the back burner, including losing weight. Cause that's always been something that I want to do. <laughs> um, and I put everything on the back burner and I just focused completely on TSM and, you know, bec I had a goal extinction. I was reaching for that goal. And I, uh, what I did was I, I personally, every time I started, I started, okay. I started monitoring my cravings and I would notice when I was craving, when I started to crave how long it was built, my craving was building. Sometimes it would t be days. Um, and every possible time that I could drink when I was craving, I mean, that I could do an extinction session when I was craving is when I would do it. You know, if life circumstances were, were good, I would, I would try to do an extinction session every time I craved. As soon as I started craving, I would do this. This is what I did for myself. And that leads into how medication adherence can help against and, and protect against the alcohol deprivation effect. So why don't you go into that a little bit? Yeah. Because you're, you're already leading right in there. Yeah, yeah. And so that was the other thing I had to really wrap my brain around was learning exactly what ADE was. And once I got that and I figured out what ADE, alcohol deprivation effect, it is, okay, let me see if I can explain it properly. It is basically they, Dr. Sinclair first discovered it in a lab with the rats. He had deprived the rats of alcohol for a period of time. And then when he had put the, the solution back on their cages, he noticed that they, they drank excessively and they were like binging basically on this alcohol solution. And then he was very curious about that. And he tried it again and again and again, and the same thing happened. And then he moved to the clinical trials where he did it with humans and the same thing happened. So we discovered that there, this is a real phenomenon that happens in the brain where the more we're deprived of the substance, it, it builds up this craving within us. And so once I, once I realized this and took it to heart and really owned this phenomenon was when I could stop feeling guilty about white knuckling it through, then I knew the craving equaled, I need to do an extent, uh, an extinction session. And I, I, I let it all go about white knuckling it because that is just the wrong mentality that that mentality. Now that we have all of the science, um, that mentality is like old thinking, basically. It's like a, the abstinence based, the traditional methods of, of recovery, but that's kind of outdated now. And I know I'm getting controversial here. <laughs> At one but, point in history, leeching was not controversial. So we move, you medi medicine moves on. Science exactly. progresses. We learn things that we didn't have any idea existed before. 
And, you know, and there are some traditional systems that were set up decades before we even understood what neurochemistry was, that it even existed. So before DNA was discovered. So, you know, we, we didn't understand things then. And it's not any treatment's fault that at the time of its creation, it was the best thing available. Exactly. So, exactly. but as we progress, we, we want to simply take the best of, of what works. So not, Absolutely. not truly controversial. Um, so let's talk about the role of alcohol free days as it relates to medication adherence. Because some people are, um, some people are focused on the extinction sessions without the alcohol-free days, which are also then naltrexone-free days. And there are some who fear that even one day alcohol-free will trigger the alcohol deprivation effect. So talk, okay. talk a little bit about how alcohol-free days are actually a part of the medication adherence. Oh my gosh, such a such a great question. Well thought out question. Um, yes, I, so for me, those alcohol-free days- are, I, I'm hearing a ding. Is that I know, a- and I'm not really sure what that is. Okay. <laughs> I don't know what that is. Why am I dinging? I shouldn't be dinging. But anyways, I just put my phone on- silence. So I don't know if that has anything to do with it. All right. (laughs) Back to this. Um, yeah. So for me, I, I discovered that alcohol free days were part of the whole package on how I, I got my healing because what I noticed is that when I had my alcohol free days, I was doing, I was during my TSM protocol, I, I was learning how to do other activities that weren't drinking related during those days. And then I noticed that I had an endorphin activity happening. Natural endorphins were being produced from these other activities that were healthy activities. And I needed that. I actually need, oh, I'm sorry about that ding. <laughs> what, what would it be? Um, I'm not the techiest person. So I apologize for that. And I'll work on that ding for next time. Um, yeah, so I noticed that those, those alcohol-free days and those naltrexone-free days were allowing my brain, my, my endorphin activity to be kind of become healthy again compared to always getting my endorphins from drinking. I was now changing the, I was changing the brain in this way. And that's why it's such an important factor to include that having those alcohol-free days where you're engaging in a, a healthy activity and you're going out and playing with your dog. Or for me, I was doing spin class a lot. I had started this. This was a new thing for me. I'd never done spinning, cycling ever before in my life, but I had a, a I had a curiosity and a eagerness to do it. So 
I tried it out and I ended up loving it. And so I would do that on my alcohol free days. And then that was giving me so many endorphins, natural endorphins, that it was almost beginning to replace the alcohol drinking, like drinking became started to slowly become second fiddle to the natural endorphins that I was getting from healthy activities like exercise. And this is so important. And it's something that when I am at uh, addiction conferences and I'm talking to addiction professionals, I try to, to really hone in on that point because so often what will cause somebody to relapse is they stop drinking and then they just have this void and they don't know what to do and they can't fill it and they don't have the natural endorphins going. Mm. And with the Sinclair method, it's instead of creating a void with those alcohol free days, then you are filling that void and it shifts and yes. it shifts in a natural, more natural to you yes. way yes. so that it becomes something that isn't even, I, I mean, I'm guessing that it really wasn't even an effort for you to then say, okay, I'm going to go to spin class instead of drink. <laughs> exactly. It was such a natural shift for me and it was very slight and, and, but it was, progress. It was happening over the course of months, you know, and, and then I got to the point where my, my body actually wanted the natural endorphins rather than the endorphins that came from drinking. Like they were better. Those endorphins are better. The, the natural healthy ones that I was getting from all the healthy activities I do. And it, it was a shift. So it did happen very kind of slowly, but once looking back, it happened quickly. It was only a few months, you know, it was a, a few months. It was, it was five months for me. I mean, I, I know it's different for everybody, so I don't want anyone to get discouraged about the time frame, you know, um, but it really wasn't that long. I mean, even if it takes a year, that's not very long compared to 27 years, you know? So this, we're getting uh, close on time, so I'm going to give you one last question, and this one, this is a tough question. What advice would you give to someone who simply either doesn't want to put the effort into maintaining or, or can't put, seem to put in the effort into maintaining medication adherence for life? Hmm. Okay. Very tough question. You're right. Um, I, I think I would start with, uh, you know, really looking inside yourself and, and, and asking those questions of why, why, why don't you want to be compliant? Why, what's holding you back from that? You know, are, are you, are you um, romanticizing drinking? Are you romanticizing alcohol still? Um, and why, why are you romantic? Is it because you want to escape? Is it because um, you're you're still numbing from past hurts and traumas and all kinds of stuff in the past? Have you let go of all that guilt and shame that we alcoholics, that's an old terminology, but people that have suffered from AUD, are, we carry this guilt and shame with us, 
throughout our lives because of all the mess that we make in our lives? You know, have you fully released that so you can move to another level in life? And um, ultimately is, you know, what kind of person do you want to, do you want to be, you know, like for me, that's, that was what I was faced with. I was faced with what kind of person was I going to be? Was I going to be someone who was addicted to something or was I going to be someone that can accomplish my dreams in life and my goals? And my goals became so much more powerful than any drinking session, you know, was in the past. So. All right. Well, it looks like we are out of time. Audience, you guys have been wonderful today, as always. Thank you for spending the last hour with us. Did you guys learn anything surprising about medication adherence today? If so, go ahead and put those in the comment section now. And please join me in thanking our wonderful guest, Samara Ibanez. Any last words for the audience before we end our show? Um, yeah, I wanted to say one thing. Something recently happened to me um, that I, it was some negative things that happened to me and there was a breakup and, you know, I was kind of struggling. This was a few weeks ago. And my this little squirrel brain kind of started like a little voice was like, Hey, why don't you, why don't you go back to drinking? Like, you, like it was, it was very, very, you know, small, but it was there. And, um, I took that opportunity to say, sure, I'll do another extinction session because that's going to solidify what's already happened to, you know, all the healing that's already happened. I'll do an extinction session. So it's, it's a little bit of like, a positive reinforcement that we can just do another extinction session. Like we, we have so much freedom with TSM. And if my brain is, is saying things like you should drink again, or, or that glass of wine or whatever, just do it compliantly. And then you're fine. You can do it for the rest of your life. You know? <laughs> well, the, after afterwards you should go into the chat and and okay. look look at all the wonderful comments and feedback that we're getting um yeah. but yeah. uh it looks like according to the audience we we should definitely have you back next season oh, yeah. <laughs> next season. so audience go ahead and fill the chat area with some more gratitude for samara uh, if you guys came in late or if you want to share or watch the stream again, we will have today's video up on our website, YouTube, Vimeo, Anchor, and Spotify, hopefully all by the end of today. And as soon as we're able to, we will add those transcripts and closed captioning as well. Next week, we're going to be joined by Brian Noonan from SinclairMethod.org by Ballard Psychiatry. And we're going to talk a bit about Sinclair Method challenges. So start thinking about those questions now. If you've found value in this broadcast, we hope you'll hit the donate button in our profile or head to our website to make a donation at c3foundation.org donate. You can also follow our channel to get broadcast alerts and subscribe to our channel to go ad free and get some bonus emoji to use. I promise we will make some more and start getting those added as well. And if you are an Amazon Prime member, you can subscribe for free. 
So you can send gift subscriptions to other viewers, cheer, drop bits, host our channel, all of the normal Twitch activities. If you would like to suggest a guest or a topic for a future broadcast, we've got a link to a Google form that we'll drop in the chat, and you can also find the link on our main schedule page of our website. We have about four slots left open this season, so if those fill up, we will just start booking guests for next season, which will start in late September. If you are on the Sinclair Method and you're looking for more peer support, or you just want to join the C3 Foundation community, we've got you covered with groups on Facebook, Discord, and the Options Save Lives Forum. You can also find Samara on the TSM Your Sinclair Method coaching page. And that is it for today. So have a wonderful weekend, everybody. Be gentle with yourself and with others. And I will see you again next week right here on Twitch at noon Eastern. Bye, guys. Bye. You've been watching the Options Save Lives weekly live stream, hosted by Executive Director Jenny Williamson and produced by the C3 Foundation with the support of R Street Institute and other generous supporters. For more information about the C3 Foundation or the Sinclair Method, visit our website at c3foundation.org. If you have a question you want answered live on air, to make guest suggestions, or to support the show, let us know. You can reach us through our website, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or on Discord. Join us each week as we continue to discuss more ways to help you build a better relationship with alcohol, or to eliminate it completely. Because recovery from alcohol use disorder is not a one-size-fits-all process. Options are available. And options save lives.